0: The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station.
1: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
2: Welcome to America's Web Radio. Today you're listening to Healthcare Insight. My name is Ron Bachman. I want to focus today on this very important committee in the House of Representatives led by Representative Jim Jordan. He's looking at the weaponization of the United States government. Now, many of us hear in the news issues around the Department of Justice or the CIA or the IRS abusing their powers. But what's turned out in this committee, I think, is the most important revelation of how the federal government is working against the freedoms and liberties of the American people. I want to go through the hearing that has occurred just a few weeks ago that I'm afraid too many people have not heard of. You don't get it on the ABC News, NBC News, CBS News. You only get it in certain areas that are covered by conservative media that are trying to identify the dangers that we all face as Americans to what's happening with social media and the power of the government. So I want to first turn to Representative Jordan's presentation and summary of what's happened in the last few weeks and their discovery on this committee of weaponizing the federal government, because a clear theme is coming out on censorship of the American people, the attack on the First Amendment. So let me turn to Representative Jordan to outline exactly what this committee has been doing and what it is about to do in this presentation, which I will present various segments of and comment on some of the presenters.
3: It was interesting. In the first hearing, we had Mr. Turley, by the way, not a, not a Republican, Mr. Turley, who talked about censorship by surrogate. In our hearing three weeks ago, we had two journalists, again, not Republicans, talk about the censorship industrial complex. And today, Senator Schmidt and Attorney General Lander, I read through their written testimony last night, they they talk about the vast censorship enterprise. And the key word in all three is the word censorship because that is exactly what's going on. But perhaps even worse is the scope of the censorship. The government no longer pretends that censorship is limited to foreign disinformation or even domestic misinformation. Instead, censorship extends to the so-called malinformation. In other words, true information that is supposedly misleading and conflicts with the censor's preferred narrative. And that is the most dangerous and, frankly, the most frightening thing of all. Censorship isn't about truth. It's about power.
2: Notice how misinformation, bad information is being restricted by people who think they know better than everybody else and that people can't make assumptions for themselves or that they're going to be overly influenced by some false statement or some misleading statement. But notice the reason for all of that. The First Amendment didn't say that you had to accept everything or that whatever you said had to be truthful you got to have your statements verified or critiqued by others, and various opinions might change over time. What is truth uh, from one person turns out to be not so truthful. So why would people do this? And I think at the very end of his statement, Representative Jordan uh, hit it on the head, and that is it's all about power. You know, when I spent a lot of time in Washington during my active career, it was always about power and money, but today there's so much money in the system. There's so many multi-billionaires that are providing money to influence the direction of the country the, the way they want, that it's now not so much about money because that's there. It's about power and holding on to power. That's what's going on. Well, let's go to, next to um, Senator Schmidt from Missouri. Uh, he's been very involved with the case, the legal case brought by the attorney generals from uh, Missouri and Louisiana, challenging and discovering what the government actually has been doing, getting documents about what's been going on. So let's listen to Senator Schmidt, which ought to raise the hairs of every listener out there on what he has seen and what he's experienced when he's delved into the details and gotten the actual records, the emails, the tweets uh, the conversations that have been going on between government officials and private big tech companies. So here's Senator Schmidt.
4: The First Amendment is the beating heart of our Constitution. The First Amendment is integral to maintaining our Republican form of government and the belief that we are a country of free people, not oppressive government. The Biden administration has led the largest speech, speech censorship operation in recent American history. Since taking office, President Biden and his team have labored to suppress viewpoints with which they disagree. And in doing so, they have infringed upon the individual freedoms of millions of Americans. And no matter what your political affiliation is, government censorship should concern everyone. The Biden administration has coerced, cajoled, and colluded with social media companies to censor disfavored speech. The Biden team has publicly threatened social media companies from removing legal protections with with removing legal protections, blame social media companies for societal problems, accused social media companies of killing people. And these social media companies, some of the biggest companies in the history of the world, willingly took part in this Orwellian vast censorship enterprise. Senator
2: Smith, you make a charge that the Biden administration actively threatened Private companies, Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, those communication vehicles that are used by Americans every day, they threaten them with removal of the protections they have, with uh, antitrust, all those things that you mentioned. Can you give some specific examples of what you're talking about there?
4: On multiple occasions. President Biden and his team have threatened to punish social media companies that did not sufficiently censor Biden's political opposition by revoking Section 230. Biden suggested Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg should be subject to civil liability and potential criminal prosecution for not censoring political speech. President Biden also repeatedly accused social media companies of, quote, killing people by not censoring enough disfavored speech. The Biden administration has threatened and attacked social media companies, so that those social media companies would censor speech the Biden administration dislikes.
2: Senator Smith, people really didn't know what was going on. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. This seems to be something that was sort of behind the scenes and secret, and nobody knew. the uh, The Twitter files came out and exposed everything, but we wouldn't have known unless Elon Musk had bought the company. And release those kinds of documents. We don't know what happened with uh, Facebook or Instagram or some of the other uh, public websites that are out there that communicate information from from place to place, from people to people. What was it about um, your states that disclosed this?
4: Until the Missouri versus Biden lawsuit and later the Twitter files, the Biden administration's efforts to pressure and collude with social media companies was behind the scenes. For meetings and emails, and was unknown.
2: So, oh, Senator Schmidt, once you started to develop and investigate and find this hidden cabal of people trying to limit people's access to information, censoring information available to the American public, once you found that, what is the basis of the lawsuit that you have brought against the Biden administration?
4: This lawsuit alleges... The Biden administration, including President Biden himself and members of his team, pressured and colluded with social media giants to censor free speech in the name of combating so-called disinformation and misinformation, which led to the suppression and censorship of truthful information on a scale never seen before.
2: Senator Smith, can you provide some examples to our audience out there of the kind of abuses That you're talking about specifically related to the Biden administration?
4: The lawsuit provides example after example of truthful information that was censored by social media companies that were admitted at a later date to be truthful or credible, including the Hunter Biden laptop story, the COVID-19 lab leak story, theory, and the efficacy of masks.
2: Did your research identify specific individuals in the administration, in the Biden administration, that were engaged in these kinds of censorship activities with big tech companies?
4: Documents reveal multiple White House officials, from the former press secretary to the digital director, relentlessly pressuring social media companies to remove specific posts or accounts or expand censorship practices.
2: Senator Schmidt, you also made a pretty strong charge that the Biden administration was trying to censor truthful statements uh, because it didn't fit their narrative. Can you give me an example of what the Biden administration did to uh, squelch truthful statement by specific individuals?
4: The White House wanted post censored from Fox News host Tucker Carlson even though Facebook found that the content did not violate its policies. The White House also asked for unfavorable news to be put, quote, in context with specific talking points, along with amplification of Biden administration messaging and FAQs.
2: Well, Senator Schmidt, in the last few years, a lot of people, especially those on the right conservative side, feel that they were lied to, that they were misled, uh, that there was a lot of distortion uh, from the CDC and the NIH in particular, I guess, the boogeyman there has been um, uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Can you tell me, uh, did you get a chance to talk to him and to sort of press him on some of the things that he was promoting during this period of time that have, in, in hindsight now, uh, has been proven false, but he was the voice of the administration? Um, what happened with Dr. Fauci in your research?
4: Missouri and Louisiana also deposed Dr. Anthony Fauci. This deposition showed that when Dr. Fauci spoke, Big Tech censored. For example, Dr. Fauci was aware early in the pandemic that his agency had funded dangerous gain-of-function research on the coronavirus at the Wuhan Lab of Wuhan Institute of Virology, but he sought to discredit and suppress the theory that COVID-19 leaked from a lab to deflect blame and avoid potential responsibility for the pandemic. In his deposition, Dr. Fauci claimed 174 times that he could not recall, including about critical details related to gain-of-function research and other issues associated with the lab leak theory and the government's response to the pandemic. Because of Dr. Fauci's influence, social media platforms censored the lab leak theory and other COVID-19 viewpoints. That Dr. Fauci and his cabal of experts disfavored.
2: Of course, the other big story that involved censorship by the media by big tech was the Hunter Biden laptop story. And we now know, and everybody agrees that it was uh, completely authentic. It wasn't Russian disinformation, as some proposed. Uh, what did you find? Did you verify that yourself in terms of the interviews and discussions that you had? Uh, with areas like the FBI and what they knew and what they did. Uh, can you tell us about the Hunter Biden uh, saga and big tech?
4: Missouri and Louisiana also deposed the FBI, FBI agent about the Hunter Biden laptop story. This deposition and relevant documents revealed that the FBI deliberately planted false information about hack and leak operations in advance of the Hunter Biden laptop story coming out in order to deceive social media platforms into censoring the Hunter Biden laptop story. The FBI also flagged social media accounts for censorship on a monthly basis and have, have an estimated 50% success rate in getting reported disinformation removed or censored.
2: Well, audience, if this kind of testimony doesn't scare you, and you will check the veracity of this with other presenters then you're not paying attention to how you're being limited. Well, let's take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back with a story about the weaponization of government that everybody out there ought to be fully aware of and alert to.
5: In 2009, the membership organization DOCS for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients, dedicated to fighting for your health freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs. 4patientcarefoundation.org that's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you.
6: I am back. Let's talk Venezuelan with Josie Cruz and friends every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. only on America's
2: Web Radio.
1: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
2: Welcome back to America's Web Radio, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. And what I want to talk about today is this weaponization of government committee led by Jim Jordan. And the presenters here are absolutely amazing in what they are discussing and what they are presenting as factual and research that they've done that supports those facts and those stories. And they've got the emails. And what I want to get into now, and I'm going to present to the audience both the question and the response on this committee, because we all should be listening to these committees, but we can't. We're working. We've got family issues. We've got other things that are going on in our lives. So we can't all be listening. But it's so important that even through this forum here, we spend some time sharing what's going on in our country that people are completely unaware of. And I want to present both the question from the Republican congressman who is asking the question of a Mr. Uh, John Sawyer. And Mr. Sawyer's got a very rough, rough voice, um, and so he's a little hard to listen to, but what he says is so important. I want to present this uh, to our audience so that they can understand the legal aspects of this First Amendment expert, probably the top American on the expertise and knowledge of the history and the application and the court cases that have supported the First Amendment throughout the history of our country. So Mr. Sawyer is the person best suited to answer some of these questions, and he has been the lawyer for this case between Uh, Louisiana and Missouri in challenging the Biden administration. So let me turn it over to uh, Representative Johnson, who's going to ask a question of Mr. Sawyer and hear his response to what's been going on in our country that many of us uh, really had no idea about what was happening.
1: Mr. Sauer, can you please elaborate on the ripple effects of President Biden publicly saying social media companies are killing people by failing to remove COVID information that his party disagrees with?
6: evidence indicates that that was a critical watershed in the Biden administration's pressure campaign to attack Facebook in particular, but also social media platforms in 2021. And what you see is these amazing emails right after that July 16, 2021 comment from President Biden that they're killing people from very senior Facebook C-suite Facebook executives, desperately scrambling to get back in the White House's good graces and assuring them, we will do what you want. We will carry out quote, what the White House expects of us on misinformation going forward.
2: I want our audience to listen carefully to this next short segment, the interchange between uh, Jim Jordan, who chairs this committee, and uh, the key witness here, the lawyer on the First Amendment, uh, John Sauer, on what was going on between the government and the uh, high-tech uh, social media companies.
3: You talk about the censorship enterprise. You give a bunch of facts and numbers here. You said Twitter disclosed that 84 government officials communicated with them. 84 federal officials gave Twitter suggestions on tweets and things to take down. 45 officials in the federal government told the same thing to Facebook.
6: Is that right? They, they discussed disinformation and censorship with those officials.
2: So there was obvious con- collusion between Biden administration officials and the social media companies uh particularly Twitter uh but also Facebook and some of the others and so what I'd like to hear more about uh from uh, the interchange between representative Jordan and uh and uh the lawyer Sawyer was what kind of information what kind of discussions were going on and who was really involved from the administration do you Can you tell us how many documents were involved in this kind of a discussion, and how many were taken down?
3: Yeah, a handful of federal agencies handed over twenty thousand pages of documents in the communications they had had with these big tech companies again, uh twenty White House officials were involved in these suggestions to uh to um uh these social media platforms.
6: That's conservative it's probably higher,
3: yeah. FBI agent Elvis Chan testified the FBI loan sends encrypted lists to social media accounts, sometimes containing hundreds of accounts and URLs in each list to platforms for censorship one to five times per month, 500 times a month, 500 different email ad, or, uh, websites, everything else they're sending to these social media platforms. The FBI.
2: Well, audience, if you think it's bad enough that a Twitter or Facebook is doing the censoring of the American public in these public forums for discussion. What we probably didn't know, I certainly didn't know, is that there is a consortium of uh, technology companies, of companies that are in this business of creating platforms for uh, citizens' discussions. Uh, let's hear more about that from uh, Representative Jordan and uh, Mr. Sawyer. So we can all know and understand this thing is much more than one individual company or two.
3: The Election Integrity Partnership, a censorship consortium of academics, think tanks, federal, state, government officials, social media platforms, both that it surveilled 859 million tweets, 21,897,364 tweets on tickets as misinformation. Is that right? That's correct. You all, you learned this in your discovery in your, in your uh, lawsuit so far. Correct, Your Honor. And the Virality Project, a mass surveillance and censorship operation conducted by the EIP, has done over two hundred six point seven million 6.7 million engagements on social media, 200 million.
2: Now, why is Jim Jordan and the Republicans on this committee so intent on finding out the truth about the collusion, the intimidation and the coercion that the federal government, especially under the Biden administration, has been working with? The social media companies, yes, it's gone on before then with the Department of Justice and Department of uh, Defense, the CIA, all those organizations, even under the Trump administration. But they were doing it as rogue operations. Uh, it wasn't the White House under the Trump administration that was significantly working behind the scenes to squelch stories or to plant uh, falsehoods around individuals uh, reporters, uh, media people. And so what I want to get into next here is how Republicans were the ones targeted through this. So it wasn't some rogue bureaucrat who's trying to, uh, you know, take over and control the narrative for whoever's in the White House. This is very targeted towards Republicans. And so the Democrats don't want to hear about it. It's shocking to listen to their side of questioning But it's so useless, all they do is do character assassination. So I have avoided putting them in because they make no sense whatsoever. But let's listen to the interchange now between Representative Jordan and Mr. Sawyer on how targeted this was towards Republicans and conservatives.
3: Now, let me just ask you this. Were most of those targets uh, towards conservatives?
6: virtually everything we've seen in evidence so far, or at least the vast majority of what we've seen in so far, is conservative right-leaning speech.
3: But you would be just as outraged. I read your testimony. You'd be just as outraged if it was the other way around, right?
6: Absolutely. Same
3: here. Same here. Because the First Amendment, again, is not just for some people, not just for one political persuasion, not just for the so-called smart people like Dr. Fauci. It's for 330-some million Americans that's how our Constitution works. Is that right,
6: Mr. Sauer? Every single American.
2: The next exchange I want the audience to listen carefully to, it's sort of a long exchange. I'll try not to jump in the middle and make some commentary on, but I may not be able to resist myself. But it's between uh, Congressman uh, Daryl Issa from California and the lawyer, uh, Mr. Sawyer. I think it's such an important uh, underlying truth about the extent of what's been going on here, who's involved and an explanation of the first amendment. Uh, it's a very short um, uh, sentence or two about uh, freedom of speech, but I think Daryl Issa gets into it very deeply by asking the right questions of the lawyer who's an expert on the first amendment and the history and court cases around the first amendment, um, what it really means and who can deny um, some First Amendment rights of citizens, and who cannot? Because there is some accusation, if you will, or some claim that the only people that are restricted uh, in uh, in inhibiting the freedom of speech is the federal government. And that's just not true, as we'll hear in this dialogue. Uh, the First Amendment,
7: incredibly short. And if we read it in its purest sense, you would say that Congress shall make no laws respecting and, and that because it only says Congress, uh, that it doesn't apply to anyone else. Has the, have our courts, including our Supreme Court under 200 plus years, have they ever considered it that narrow?
6: No, Congressman.
7: So isn't it true that they basically consider censorship of free speech very broadly to include intimidation by, uh, federal, state, or local government authorities. Isn't that right?
6: Yes, intimidation and retaliation, among many other things.
7: So what was earlier called suggestion by the federal government, the the vast power of the federal government, which could even include the IRS, one might think in this case, that kind of suggestion has historically been viewed as intimidation consistent with this relatively short uh, statement about our right of free speech.
6: That's exactly right. There's overwhelming evidence in our case that contradicts the notion that these were mere suggestions from federal officials. It's completely factually baseless to state that.
7: What you have is the power of the executive branch being used to reduce the opposition or the redress or the free speech or the communication of people who might disagree with what was being put out by the executive branch, which happened to be a Democrat president.
6: That's exactly right. We see not just interference with free speech, but interference with the attempts to organize for political advocacy.
7: Now, is this an opinion, or are these indisputable facts based on the literally millions of events?
6: Yeah, the the evidence is overwhelming, and we've submitted extensive evidence to to the subcommittee.
7: So what we're dealing with here is tangible evidence that the other side of the aisle seems to want to talk around, about the changing of what would have been public opinion if public opinion were freely allowed to occur without intervention by the federal government and, candidly, agents on behalf of them, including private entities that were paid to be part of this program.
6: That's correct, and you you do see a concerted effort to change the subject.
2: Well, it's pretty shocking to me, and I hope it is to our audience, the level of censorship that's been going on, the vast network of organizations that are working together to censor what they call misinformation, uh, bad information, uh, malinformation, and I guess malinformation is now defined as something that's truthful but doesn't fit into the narrative of the party in power, of the media of the narrative of what's wrong with this country and you're not allowed to question it or they shut you down or they highlight you so that you get fired. It's part of the cancel culture, if you will. Uh, but this is something new to our country and we're going to have to face it. How do we keep our freedom of speech when we're able to actually talk to each other so easily through social media and it gets highlighted so readily by social media? Well, let's take a quick break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to continue to pursue the issues and the presentations of this committee on the weaponization of government. I find it fascinating, and I hope you'll continue to listen.
8: Hey, folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor Show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor Show. Remember, folks, I'm not angry. I'm just right, and you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio.
1: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
2: Welcome back to the third segment of this week's America's Web Radio, the program we call Healthcare Insight, which is not just about health insurance or uh, physician care or psychological services for mental health services. This is about the health care of our country, about the policies, about the politics, both domestic and domestic. And, foreign. and today we're talking about the internal politics that is destroying the free speech in this country, the censorship that's going on with our administration and the bureaucrats that run both the executive branch and those that are involved in other parts of the executive responsibility, the Department of Justice, the CIA, the Health and Human Services, the border uh, czar. All those organizations have bureaucrats working under them. They can have a big impact on the liberties that we enjoy. They can write regulations. But more importantly, what we're talking about today is how are they using social media to keep out ideas and thoughts and comments and ideas that may be different than what the administration wants you to believe, but are truthful just the same. Or maybe challenging the truthfulness uh, of the administration. Now, the next set of questions I want you to listen to very carefully come from a somewhat bombastic, controversial, outspoken representative from the panhandle of Florida, Representative Matt Gaetz. Many considered him to be far right. Others consider him to be logical, common sense, and has an ability to frame his questions, his comments in a way that can really resonate uh, with people who hear him. So I want you to listen to him talk about the power of the bureaucrats in the Biden administration, and then the follow-up questions to Mr. Sir about who was actually involved. Can he name names? Can he identify the individuals that were involved from his research? So let me turn it over to Matt Gates to talk about uh, and ask his questions.
8: White House staffers are some of the most powerful people on the planet Earth. Oftentimes, they get the dispositive opinion on appointments to different positions within the federal government. They influence statements of administrative policy. They uh, initiate regulatory reform. They often have a significant voice on legislation that is considered and approved. And so, Mr. Sauer, I want to understand how many of these intensely powerful people – who work in the Biden White House, were involved in this effort that you've been investigating regarding the desire to shape discussions on social media?
6: At least 20 and very likely more.
2: So we know from this direct questioning, and I think we heard it in some of the other segments, that there were 20 or more White House individuals that were interacting with the social media companies trying to squelch stories, squelch tweets, alternative opinions that didn't match up with the message that the White House wanted to put out. So let's take this another level and see if Matt Gaetz can drill down to find out the names of the people in the White House that were actually doing this and using social media to do the work that they couldn't do in keeping people from having their constitutional rights of free speech and free expression,
8: and was there a ringleader of this group? Someone who had pervasive and uh, repeated efforts to try to coerce social media companies to shape the truth according to the Biden White House?
6: Deputy Assistant to the President Rob Flaherty and also Andy Slavitt. Who is Rob Flaherty? He is the, uh, I believe, the digital
8: coordinator for the White House. His his level is Deputy Assistant to the President. And what behaviors of Mr. Flaherty did you observe that you found troubling?
6: We've seen... Many, many pages of emails between Mr. Flaherty and social media platforms where he relentlessly badgers them to increase the censorship of ordinary Americans' free speech on social media, and he gets results. You see the platforms agreeing to censor things that are truthful, that do not violate their policies at the behest and at the pressure of the White House. Can
8: you give an example of that?
6: One great example of this is the Tucker Carlson video that was going viral in April of 2021, where Mr. Flaherty and other White House officials were emailing Facebook privately, demanding that it be censored. Facebook responded, this does not violate our policies. It has not been fact-checked, but nevertheless, we are substantially deboosting it and limiting its distribution on our platforms, even though we haven't identified anything false in it. And even though it does not – they had a positive determination that it does not violate their policies.
8: And did you assess that Facebook took that action as a direct consequence of the badgering coming from Mr. Flaherty in the Biden White House? That is
6: a compelling inference from the email traffic back and forth that we obtained in discovery.
8: And and did Mr. Flaherty ever request any reports – From social media companies on specific censorship issues.
6: Very frequently. In fact, he was demanding that again and again. His his steady drumbeat was what he called borderline content, that the email traffic makes clear. Borderline is what they call often true content, things like personal anecdotes, uh, uh, opposition to vaccination expressed in terms of political opposition, things of that nature. That is what he wanted to target. And he was frequently asking for reports back. They were sending in bi-weekly crowd tangle reports to the White House. They did that through the close of our discovery period last August in 2022. So, uh, uh, there was, there was a, a, an overwhelming effort to get them to, to check their homework, if you will, to get them to report back on how much censorship are you doing? And,
8: is it going to meet our standards as the White House? An overwhelming effort, badgering social media companies, demanding reports from those social uh, media companies directly to someone in the White House.
2: I think the next interchange between Representative Gates and the lawyer, Mr. Sawyer, is important clarification, because some speech may be illegal, and most speeches, of course, legal and under the First Amendment, but... Just to clarify, was the Biden administration trying to remove illegal speech uh, from the social platforms?
8: Some speech is illegal. Did you see Mr. Flaherty constrain his concern to unlawful speech? Or did you often see this badgering and this demand for reports from entirely lawful speech? Virtually everything, I can't remember a single instance of them going after unlawful speech.
6: Almost all of it was after lawful speech? Virtually everything that I can recall here was lawful First Amendment protected speech that was being targeted.
2: Mr. Gates continued to pursue this line of questioning by asking uh, Mr. Sawyer that some of the Democrats on this panel in their time for questioning Said the government was just making suggestions. They weren't coercing. They weren't, um, uh, forcing. They, they weren't making the uh, social media platforms remove people or remove tweets or, or limit the distribution. That they were just making suggestions. Let's listen to how Mr. Sawyer responds to that idea that this was just innocuous governmental inquiries of the social media platforms. The characterization of them as suggestions is contradicted by overwhelming
6: evidence. Calling Flaherty, for example, Mr. Flaherty's communication suggestions is akin to saying that the Earth is flat or the Moon is made of green cheese.
8: Well... And, of course, if someone shared those viewpoints, that would be lawful speech, wouldn't it? You'd be allowed to say that on social media and based on the... Not US if Mr. Pre- Flaherty were in charge. <laughs> that is that
6: is the difference. And, in fact, what happened was you had a de facto suppression of many, many views, including truthful views, political organization, at the behest of White House officials and other federal officials.
8: And, and I would suggest when you have these intensely powerful people with the ability to control so many things, even a suggestion is coercive and problematic worthy of the committee's review
2: So well, Mr. Sawyer, you made some pretty serious accusations about the administration taking down truthful information that just wasn't fitting with their narrative. Why, why would they do that? Why would and who were they doing that with try to help our audience out there understand the the evil nature of those kinds of requests in a free society, but also under help us understand why the administration would want to do that. Sure. Thank you for the question. We see email after email after email from the
6: White House, from Mr. Flaherty, pressuring specifically Facebook, but also other social media platforms to take down disfavored viewpoints. And the emphasis in those emails is on true content. The reason that the emphasis on true content is because he almost says this in so many words in one of the emails that the true content is what they perceive to be doing the most to undermine the narrative that the White House favored at the time. So it's a viewpoint discrimination targeting truthful speech that they perceive to be the most damaging to the narrative that they're pushing.
2: I want to share this next interchange between Representative Stelby and um, and Mr. Uh, Sawyer. It, that it's not just the White House as we think the people sort of running around the, uh, the Oval Office area and interacting with, uh, President Biden and Kamala Harris, but it goes out into all the other agencies that are under the control of the executive branch, like the, um, uh, the interchange here you'll see between the, uh, Surgeon General and the, um, uh, Twitter accounts, Facebook accounts, all those areas that are generating public opinion that may be ca- counter to the uh, White House and the administration's viewpoint.
6: The Surgeon General also pressured big tech companies to only allow on their platforms administration approved
8: information about COVID. Could you go into a little detail about that?
6: That's exactly correct. What we see is what's probably an orchestrated pressure campaign involving the Surgeon General and the Surgeon General's office and what their witness described in sworn testimony as their bully pulpit to engage in this pressure campaign that reinforced the pressure campaign that was happening largely covertly from the White House, but also at key points became very public. For example, May 5th, 2021, July 15th and 16th, 2021, you have very public pressure from the White House. Then behind the scenes, you have Emails where the Office of Surgeon General and the White House are, in a sense, teaming up with the social media platforms to pressure them to remove the the, the information that they thought was uh, uh, unworthy of First Amendment protections but also you see both uh, extensive evidence of federally induced censorship out of NIAID under the the leadership of Dr. Fauci, and also the CDC, who we haven't mentioned today. You see the CDC both having meeting after meeting after meeting and flagging uh, uh, specific content, individual posts in large numbers, saying, be on the lookout for this. This is what we, the CDC, want you to censor. And you see the platforms responding by kind of, deferring to the CDC and allowing the CDC to dictate what Americans can and cannot say on social media.
2: Well, audience, if this doesn't anger you that our federal government agencies, the unelected bureaucrats, have this much power to control the dialogue and the debate and the discussion of critical issues to our lives on social media platforms, then you're just not going to worry about anything, I guess. you let the government run over you and trample our Constitution. I don't understand the Democratic side not wanting to be involved in making sure this doesn't happen because when the power changes and Republicans get in control, are they worried that the Republicans are going to do the same thing? Well, the reality is that that's not the basic principles of the Republican Party or conservative movements. I don't think that they would be as blatant in doing this. Not that they wouldn't try occasionally, not that we wouldn't have a bad actor in there that would work against the basic principles, but I don't understand where the conscience and the basic idea of freedom and liberty and expression of your thoughts that you can say whatever you want in the United States. The old, when I grew up, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. If I've got a position that needs to be supported with arguments, let me make that support. Well, we're going to come back with our final section. In just a minute, Uh, please listen to these commercials and hang with us until we get back and wrap up the discussion of the weaponization of our governmental agencies.
5: In 2009, the membership organization DOCS for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients, dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs patientcarefoundation.org that's www.docs the number four patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you.
0: Veteran-owned, America's web radio would like to thank all of our incredible patrons. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you are not already a patron, you can help us continue to produce some of the most informative and entertaining shows on the internet by becoming a patron. Patrons of America's Web Radio are the first to receive information about new shows and links to the latest podcast episodes. Join now and receive a free gift while supplies last. For more information and to join our family, please visit www.patreon.com slash americaswebradio. If you have questions, contact us at gm@america'swebradio.com. At and as always, thank you for listening.
1: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the Network dot com. Thank you for listening.
2: Back to America's Web Radio, and what I think at least uh, is a fascinating discussion. I hope our audience is tuned into this and focused in on the discussion that's been going on in a congressional hearing on the weaponization of the federal government, and in this case, the weaponization that we're talking about is the administration, the Biden administration, and many of its cabinet member agencies working against the american people to stifle their voice on social media and one of the lawyers there has a case he's working on the case he's the lawyer in charge if you will of the attorney generals from louisiana and missouri bringing a case to court and it's being heard in court the judge has already ruled that they have a case that they can bring it because the other side tried to do a an early dismissal, a a directed verdict, if you will, uh, and uh, and that was denied. And so I want to delve a little bit more into this idea because I think it is important that the audience listening in here understands uh, what violations of the First Amendment might be in place with an administration going to a private company and asking the private company to, in fact, do censorship when we all know that the First Amendment says that governmental agencies can't do that. They say Congress, but the as we heard earlier, when they say Congress, the Supreme Court and other cases have said that means state and local and county and any other entity like that, that they cannot stifle uh, the free speech, the First Amendment of our Constitution. And there's a reason why it's the First Amendment, because it is probably the most important that protects no, not only our freedom of speech, but our freedom of uh, of faith as well. So let me go back to the lawyer, Mr. Sawyer, to try to explain exactly what the violations are of the First Amendment that he is claiming in court, and why that uh, why that charge. Uh, is likely to stick as the case goes forward. More than one way you can violate the First Amendment. There's coercion, there's joint participation,
6: there's conspiracy, there is deception, there is pervasive entwinement, and there is significant encouragement. So even if we hadn't alleged threats, it would in no way undermine our claim that there's a First Amendment violation. But there's overwhelming evidence of threats.
2: Mr. Sawyer, can you... um Unpack that a little bit more for our audience. Can you tell them a little bit more about the facts and figures and the details of what you're claiming in that lawsuit and why it is clearly a violation of the First Amendment and the freedoms that we all think we enjoy, but maybe somewhere down the road in administration, if they could use these techniques, can actually shut down uh, the uh, general conversation and different ideas that individuals may have or the ability to redress are elected officials without punishment. Obviously, one of the things we've alleged is that the
6: threats about antitrust liability and Section 230 repeal or replacement, those on one side are tied to demands for greater censorship. It's one thing for a federal official to say we should repeal or replace uh, Section 230 immunity. It's quite otherwise for them to say you'd better censor private American speech on social media or we will take that action against you. It's the threat linked to the demand, which is what violates the First Amendment. And the case was abundantly clear on this. And the evidence of that is overwhelming. But that's not all. We have all kinds of other threats. For example, in the Elvis Chan deposition, it was revealed that Congressional staffers have been flying out to Silicon Valley to privately meet with the social media platforms since 2017, bringing proposed legislation with them to threaten them with adverse legal counsels if censorship didn't improve. And what Mr. Chan, the government's FBI agent, testified is that this was effective. They experienced the pressure. It made a huge difference. It's censored.
2: So what you're saying is the federal government, uh, the Biden administration representatives, went out to these meetings with these social media companies With legislation in hand, threatening these companies if they didn't shut down uh, certain sites, certain comments, certain ideas, that they would help promote this legislation that would restrict their ability to function and act and have a business model like they've had. That sounds pretty darn threatening. So tell me, again, how many people um, from the FBI, for example, Department of Justice, were involved in these kinds of meetings and so I want our audience here to listen to the congressman asking questions along those lines and Mr. Sawyer's responses. How many FBI agents did Twitter say interacted
6: with Twitter? uh, uh, uh I can't remember off the top of
2: my
7: Numbers
6: head. Number's in the 80s, isn't it? Uh, uh, isn't it 80 something? Certainly the Federal Foreign Influence Task Force includes about 78 to 80 agents, I believe. And then there's another eight in uh, in San Francisco office alone that are involved in these activities, so many.
7: I know your written testimony contains hundreds of pages of these allegations, so it's interesting.
2: I want to further um, highlight uh, some questions from uh, Representative uh, Bishop, who was talking to and asking questions of Mr. Sawyer. Um, he's just um, turned to the Democratic um, member of the panel um, and had asked him about his connection to Stanford University, and the uh, individual is not a professor at Stanford, but he is involved in a um, uh, an election, what they call, I think, a virility project or election uh, honesty project. I think you'll hear the name in a second from the uh, congressman as he asks his questions, but He's identified the Democratic um, spokesman on the panel that we're talking with today um, that has special interests about limiting um, the voices and 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 censoring people when it comes to elections. So let's hear the question and the answer from Mr. Sawyer about what's really going on with the project work of the Democratic representative on the panel.
7: Can you take in the last few seconds I've got and talk briefly about how the Election Integrity Project and the Virality Project have moved to censoring whole narratives?
6: Yes, there's, uh, uh, there is a, there was a concerted effort that we see in the evidence to censor narrative at a narrative level, where a narrative can contain hundreds of thousands of social media posts, and that is operated out of Stanford University. I
2: want to continue with this dialogue between Representative Massey and the lawyer, um, Mr. Sawyer, to try to understand how secret some of these communications were and why they were out of the general public knowledge of what was going on. And did they set up separate channels? Did they have separate, you know, it's almost like having a separate secret handshake in order to make a connection. That's what was going on between areas, uh, even like the CDC. So let's listen to that dialogue and to better understand how pervasive and how uh, underhanded and nefarious this whole relationship between the administration and the social media really was.
8: How did the CDC, the Surgeon General, and, and NIAID communicate with uh, social media platforms to influence them? They did
6: it in different ways, but you see a lot of email traffic that was not public at the time where there's censorship activities that were out of public view. And um, like at CDC, what was the particular channel there? Did, uh, I heard that they had uh, some por- portal partnership that they could access directly to Twitter? Who were the people involved? That's correct. You see both Twitter and Facebook offering federal officials privilege access to be sort of privileged flaggers of misinformation using something that Twitter calls the partner support portal and something that the Facebook emails describe as Facebook's misinfo reporting channel. And they assure them, hey, if you go through this process, you'll get you know very prompt responses. We'll prioritize escalation of your concerns.
2: So audience, as someone who's hearing this uh, for the first time as I listened to the original transcript and, and video of this, uh, my take is that the administration made some initial outreach to social media and found they had success in squelching stories. And whether it's truthful or not, if it wasn't in line with what the administration wanted the American people to do, um, they got it squelched. And once they found that level of success, it started to permeate the entire administration and the cabinet-level uh, administrators as well, saying, oh, if you can get that um, stopped, maybe I can get this stopped. And they set up a separate channel, a secret channel, that if they submitted a request, it got uh, frontline recognition and approval by the uh, social media companies. So clearly it was a partnership, as I think you'll hear in the next line of questioning uh, from Senator or uh, Representative Massey. So the government literally signed up as a partner with the social media companies.
6: I think that's a very fair comment on our evidence.
8: So one other avenue that the, uh, I want you to tell us about that the government may have had influence is this virality project. Can you tell us what that is and what they do and if they receive taxpayer money? The
6: Virality Project is a kind of consortium of private entities working hand in glove with the federal government. It's really just an extension under a different name of the Election Integrity Partnership. You're talking about entities like Stanford Internet Observatory, the University of Washington Center for an Informed Public, uh, Graphica, and the Atlantic Council's DFR lab, collaborating closely with state, federal, and local government officials and collaborating closely with the social media platforms all at once to engage in a a mass surveillance and mass censorship program for social media, the, the, the breadth of which is staggering.
2: Wow, what a network, a cabal of people behind the curtain, behind the scenes. And, you know, at least for myself, uh, conservative, Republican, sometimes libertarian, we don't even think this way of working together and these large groups to do underhanded undermining the constitution, as these people are clearly trying to do for their own benefit, their own power source as helping to elect government officials and to direct the narrative of the general public, assuming we're all stupid and just follow the sheep and listen to the uh, um, mainstream media, the legacy media. uh, That's what's happening here. Uh, And, is dividing us, is hurtful, and we don't think in this way, so it's hard to fight or even anticipate the problems and the issues that liberals and progressives, uh, Marxists in many ways, uh, what they would come up with. So I want to continue this in the last minute or so we have here with you as the audience clearly understanding the, the importance of of listening to this kind of information and taking it to heart and voting in ways that should stop this. So let's wrap up this week's podcast with an interaction between Representative Jim Jordan and um and the lawyer uh, Mr. Sauer uh that explains it and tells us sort of where we're going and what the real danger is.
3: In fact, this administration started doing that on day two. Day three, excuse me, January twenty third, twenty twenty one. The Biden White House said to Twitter, Clark Humphrey, Executive Office of President, White House office. Hey, folks, wanted to flag the below tweet and wondering if we can get moving on the process for having it removed. Then in all capitals, ASAP. Is that a suggestion or maybe something a little stronger than a suggestion from the White House?
6: Stronger than a
3: suggestion. Heck yes, it's stronger than a suggestion. And here's the scariest thing of all. The National Terrorism Advisory System Bulletin for February 7th, 2022, talks about mis, dis, and malinformation. Professor Sauer, or excuse me, uh, Mr. Sauer, tell me what is malinformation?
6: Malinformation, by their definitions, is truthful information that the federal official thinks lacks appropriate context. It's an Orwellian term.
2: Well, there you have it, folks. You've got a federal government, a Biden administration that is undermining our Constitution and our free uh, speech. They're censoring us. They're trampling on the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. If we don't get together and vote these jokers out of office, get rid of them before they do any more damage. And there's going to be a lot of damage done in the next year and a half to two years. But we've got to stop these guys from going any further and support of Republican candidates, support of the Republican uh, House of Representatives, and gaining the Senate and the presidency in 2024 is absolutely critical if we're going to have and leave this country to our children and grandchildren the way we found it. Join us next week for another version of Healthcare Insight on America's Web Radio.